Hey there! Welcome to episode 83 of the Authors Read Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Becca Ehrlich, and she'll read from her book, Christian Minimalism, Simple Steps for Abundant Living. I'm Becca Ehrlich, author of Christian Minimalism, Simple Steps for Abundant Living, and I'll be reading an excerpt from Chapter 2, Stockpiling Sins and Forgiveness. My husband Will and I went up to Rochester, New York to visit our goddaughter Grace and celebrate her birthday. We bought her two books and a stuffed bear. The bear was particularly meaningful because it was bought in a fundraiser for a children's cancer hospital. Grace's mom is a multiple-time cancer survivor. Grace opened up all the presents and asked, More presents? No more presents, Grace. Uncle Will and Auntie Becca gave you three great presents, her mom answered. I want four presents, Grace insisted. She was turning three and had already made up her mind that the more stuff she could get her hands on, the better. She didn't learn that at home. Her parents would not consider themselves minimalists, but they work hard to make sure Grace and her brother do not buy into our rampant consumer culture. They rotate their toys. They keep the number of toys to a minimum. The kids read with their parents or play most of the time. And they rarely come into contact with advertising at home, since the only media the kids watch is YouTube a few times a week, seeing only one or two ads per show. So where did she learn this? How has she already bought into the idea that more is better? Two important forces are at play. Brainwashing by our consumer society is a real thing. Although Grace's family is good at keeping her away from ads at home and keeping her toys at a minimum, advertising is insidious. Grace still comes into contact with ads at movies, on billboards, in stores, and pretty much anywhere else you can think of. She also plays with other kids at daycare. Children are susceptible to other kids' interests, and she has no doubt heard other kids wanting more or pining for that next toy. Adults like to think that we aren't as susceptible to ads as kids are, but the truth is, ads are everywhere. We are constantly told that we need to buy the next thing to be better looking, feel complete, be our best, or feel happy and satisfied. That affects us, and it starts earlier and earlier in life, as shown by Grace's reaction. When we continue to digest ads designed to convince us that we need what companies are selling, we fall into a vicious cycle of dissatisfaction. When we think buying something will satisfy an emotional need or want, we are dissatisfied until we get that product. We convince ourselves that once we get that thing, we will be happy. We will have everything we need to live a satisfactory life. But once we get it, it doesn't take long to realize that the thing we had to have is not the answer. The thing we bought is not the secret to happiness. We become dissatisfied again and start looking for the next product to bring us contentment. Our consumer culture actively perpetuates this cycle of dissatisfaction. If we are constantly dissatisfied and continuously looking for happiness in material goods, we will continue to buy more and more stuff. The cycle benefits our consumer culture because the more we buy, the more businesses profit. Our economy thrives on our dissatisfaction. Conforming to societal expectations of appearance, living situation, and keeping up with the Joneses are very real pressures. 
As Christians, however, we are called to live counterculturally, to live a life not controlled by the need to constantly buy and consume. And God is here to help us break consumer society's hold on our minds, hearts, and wallets. Stockpiling is killing us. Societal brainwashing aside, Grace has something else working against her. We have something else working against us. We have an innate need to stockpile and think more is better. In Exodus 16, the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. They are angry, frustrated, and God promises to provide manna from heaven to feed them. They're supposed to gather just enough for the day each morning. On the sixth day, they are to gather twice as much so that they can rest on the seventh. Everything goes well until they gather double on the sixth day, as they're supposed to. Rather than resting the next day, though, they go out to get more manna. They had double the portion, enough for two days, and they still went out to get more. We have the sinful tendency to accumulate as much as possible because we ultimately don't trust God to provide what we need. God promises to provide for us so many times in Scripture, but we have a hard time believing it. So we shop and buy and stockpile and constantly want more. We know logically that more isn't better, yet we still fall prey to society's bombarding messages and our own sinful nature. We have innate urges inside of us telling us that more is better. We've already mentioned keeping up with the Joneses. We tend to consume more conspicuously when we are aware of our neighbor's material possessions and social and economic status based on those possessions, and we want to keep up. The Diderot effect convinces us that when we buy something new, we must continue to buy more things to go along with the new possession. It is named for the philosopher Denis Diderot, who discovered this drive in himself and coined by an anthropologist named Grant McCracken. Imagine. You buy a new shirt that has brown in the pattern, only to realize that you don't actually own brown shoes. In fact, all your shoes are black and will clearly clash with this new shirt. So you buy a pair of brown shoes. You then realize that all of your belts are black, so you buy a brown belt. Then you notice that you don't have a brown jacket to go with the shirt when it's cold outside and you need an extra layer. So you buy a jacket. On and on it goes. We continue to bring more into our lives, more things, more activities, more commitments, because we think it will make our lives better. But in reality, it makes our lives much, much worse. Swedish death cleaning is a Scandinavian decluttering practice in which you pare down your material possessions so that when you die, your loved ones have less stuff to deal with. Sound morbid? Possibly. Is it a valid concern? Definitely. In a society where the self-storage industry grosses $38 billion a year, owning too much stuff is a huge issue. When we die, what happens to all that stuff? Our loved ones have to deal with it. It doesn't just disappear. Loved ones spend hours and hours waiting through stockpiled stuff that mostly ends up being donated or thrown away. Jesus told a parable about a rich man who decided to stockpile all sorts of goodies so that he could live large. He even tore down his original barns and built bigger ones so that he could store even more stuff. He thought that by stockpiling, he would be able to eat, drink, and be merry the rest of his life. 
But then God jumped in and said, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus finished the parable and said, So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves and are not rich toward God. Jesus reminds us that we were not created by God to accumulate stuff. We are created to love and serve God and others. Having storage units and living spaces full of stuff just wastes the time, money, and energy God gives us. We are called to use these resources to give glory to God and serve others. No matter how much stuff we stockpile, none of it gives us security. Only God does that. I'd like to thank Becca for sharing her book with us today. And thank you for listening to the Author's Free Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Author's Read Podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time!